0: We done found, we done found a oh, ho. Oh, oh. We done found, we done found a oh, ho. Oh, oh. That song has been stuck in my head. You guys know that fucking TikTok sound? Like, uh it's been all over my for you the last couple of days. So that's that, that one and Too Many Clackies. That one's been stuck in my fucking head. It's like. My brain is just TikTok songs in a loop all fucking day. TikTok sounds in a loop all fucking day. Hi guys, welcome back to Suspect. It's your host Katie. If it is your first time listening, welcome to (laughs) the shit show of a podcast. Um, If you are returning, you guys know that I love you and I appreciate you very much. So yeah, I'm so happy to be back. I've kind of just been really focused the last week and a half, two weeks, on you know my adult shit I guess is the best way to describe that it's like so funny because I see people posting like spring break spring break spring break and that just does not apply to me (laughs) like I'm too old for spring break now so that fucking sucks I remember when I was a teacher like for the first couple years after I graduated high school and I still got you know like a spring break um but yeah not so much anymore (laughs) But yeah, so anyway, I'm happy to be back with you guys. I had planned on doing a couple cases last month for Black History Month. I think we only got one or two in there. So we are going to continue telling black stories this month as well. I don't want to limit it to just February. I just specifically had planned on doing that for Black History Month. But yeah, so the good thing about this podcast and the fact that it's mine is that I can do whatever the fuck I want. I can talk about whatever the fuck I want. So <laughs> So like I mentioned, um, I have just been really, really focused like the last week and a half, two-week time period. I have been manifesting a specific job for about six months now, and I kind of was just like starting to feel like it wasn't going to happen right like I was just really really feeling down I guess for the last couple months because I had wanted this job like I had experience with this so there's no reason that like I shouldn't be able just to find a position um, and it kind of like started to defeat me a little bit because I was having to do you know different things different careers that I didn't necessarily want to do but obviously you guys know like Rent does not give a fuck about that. Like the first of the month comes around pretty quickly and your landlord's not going to care if you're telling him like, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm waiting for six months to get a job in this specific industry. No. So I was starting to feel defeated and kind of like, I just wasn't really going to get this position that I wanted. It's a work from home position. It's a really good position. So, um, yeah, anyway, so About a week and a half ago, I just um, started manifesting. Like, I had an interview with this company, and I was really hopeful for it, and I just started manifesting and claiming that job. And then they reached back out to me and gave me a second interview. And so my second interview went really, really well. I don't know if you guys can tell, but I'm, like, usually pretty, like, charismatic, and I have pretty good energy, and so people can pick up on that, like, when you're interacting with them, even on a phone call, kind of, like, The same thing with you guys. You come back every week to listen because, I don't know, you like the way I sound. You like my energy. You think my laugh is cute. I don't fucking know. So, anyway, the call went really, really well and I was really hopeful. So, as soon as I got off that call, I just started manifesting. I was like, this job is mine. I'm claiming this job. This job is mine. They're going to call me back next week and they're going to tell me that this position is mine. And I just kind of left it at that. You guys... I got a call less than twelve hours later with them offering me the position. Like, and they said to me when they made the offer, like, "Oh, you know, like your your their boss. I'm not gonna say her name, but she really liked your energy, and she just thought that you'd be a great asset to the company." And it's just so cool. One that I manifested that, but two, like I really pride myself on having good energy and people being able to pick up on that. Like. I just really think it's a big thing, right? You can usually, like, get a sense for somebody energetically, (laughs) I guess. So, just for them to, like, not only, like, offer me the job, but to, like, really validate that energy that I really try to put off for, like, you guys, like, people I interact with, my friends. It was just a good feeling all the way around. So, yeah, I'm very happy that I will be starting that in just a few weeks. That's something that I'm very excited for. Something that could really, really like just change my life, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, and they gave me a great schedule with his, which is awesome because I was kind of worried about going back to like a full time thing. Um, kind of worried about like when I was going to record or when I was going to make time to do that. So yeah, it's cool. I have a good schedule. We're gonna be on a fucking routine with the podcast and my new position so just wanted to say a thank you to the universe and to anybody listening if you have been manis- if you've been manifesting something for months and it's just not happening keep doing it like i promise you if you really really want something like it's gonna come just keep your mindset there keep your heart there and just know that the universe the universe rewards us it really does when we least expect it to which is crazy so anyway yeah that's my little woohoo for the week I guess (laughs) but also you guys I have been like binging so much tv I have watched everything under the sun like anything you could think of I've probably watched in the last two weeks so I was on social media, and I was saying something about me needing a new TV show to watch, so a bunch of people recommended stuff, but somebody, one of my friends, recommended Snowfall to me. Now, if you haven't seen that, you have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. It's fine. Go look it up. It's good. If you have seen it, you know it's great. But anyway, so basically, let me look up on Google, like, a good description, because I feel like I can describe it pretty well, but also... Um, Sometimes words are hard. <laughs> so, let's see here. I got a good description for Snowfall. It's fucking fantastic, ladies and gentlemen. I watched all 5 seasons in like 2 weeks. I'm not kidding you. I'm caught up to like the new episodes that are coming out on TV now. Okay, so the description for Snowfall is it's 1983 and the crack in co- the crack cocaine epidemic is in its infancy in Los Angeles. Ambitious Lucia, the daughter of a Mexican crime lord who sells marijuana throughout the city, sees the cocaine business as a potential moneymaker, so she manipulates her family into entering the more dangerous and profitable territory than pot. Getting involved with the new drug is setting her on a violent collision course with the likes of Franklin, a young street entrepreneur on the quest for power, and former Mexican wrestler Gustavo, who's caught up in a power struggle with a crime family. Also getting involved with the cocaine trade is CIA operative Teddy, who is running who is running from a dark past and begins an off book operation to fund the war. Oscar nominated director, John Singleton from Boys in the Hood co-created the drama series and says he drew inspiration from his own life for franklin's story so yeah it's basically when like crack cocaine is first getting started in la and just kind of the stories of like the different communities and how it went how it went from nothing to something and it's just so crazy you guys the writing is so good The production is really good. The actors and actresses are amazing. I mean, come on. I watched five seasons in two weeks, so I either have no life or it's really good or maybe a bit of both. I'm not really sure, but definitely check it out. Um, Franklin is my favorite character. He is so handsome, and when you get to season five, he's got like the 90s mustache. like He's just like 90s fine, and I'm fucking living for it. I'm fucking living for it. It's so crazy that I watch it that quick, though, and I'm like <laughs> already on the episodes that are coming out on Hulu, you know, like the day after they air on TV. So um, be like me and do the same thing. Catch up and let me know what you guys think. Um, ah, What else did I watch this week? I'm trying to think. I've watched so many things. Oh, you guys, I watched Inventing Anna in one fucking day. I'm not kidding you. I watched all of it in one fucking day. I started it because I was planning on recording, like, the next day. And I've heard a lot of people on podcasts talking about Inventing Anna. So I was like, okay, let me just watch an episode or two so that I can discuss on the podcast and let people know I'm watching it too. But girl, boy, (laughs) whoever you are listening, like, I literally just couldn't stop watching it because the storyline i mean obviously you guys know it's based on a real case um anna Sorokin, i think that's how you pronounce it anna delvey is what she went by but that was an um alias but that's who it's based off so they're just like re-dramatizing basically her story but the acting is amazing i mean uh, it's it's so good it's so fucking good and this anna girl scammed the fuck Scammed the fuck out of New York's Elite. And not just New York's Elite, but also her friends and so many other people. And it's so crazy to, like, watch the show. And yeah, they're reenacting these things. But while I was watching the show, I was looking up, like, specific facts. I was like, did this really happen or is it just in the show? And pretty much everything is valid. And it's insane, you guys. It is so fucking insane. Like, this girl as honestly fucking a genius like honestly like because you you wonder like how how do these like normal everyday people just scam like elite millionaires billionaires whatever but she like was a master manipulator and it's scary insane to watch like this girl work so I definitely recommend like you guys go watch that check it out let me know what you think um Just when you think it can't get worse, it absolutely gets worse. So definitely check that out and let me know what you guys think. Maybe you'll watch it in a day like I did. I'm really starting to think that I have no life now that we're talking about Snowfall and Inventing Anna because I watched both of those, Snowfall five seasons, one season of Inventing Anna, like literally in two weeks. Oh my goodness. Somebody needs to take my Netflix password away from me. It's actually not even my Netflix though, so... Really, shout out to Gabby's family for letting me use their Netflix. Really appreciate the Rosales family for that. Okay, so like I mentioned, we are still going to be discussing some black stories moving into March. I want to make sure that we are, you know, just covering everybody that's impacted our world, impacted society. These stories are important. Sorry, guys, I'm looking for... Here we go. I was looking for these notes. I'm recording in a place that I normally, I mean, it's my place still, but I'm normally like sitting at my desk and I'm just like sitting on the couch, kind of relaxed right now. So yeah, I don't know. I love that, I guess is all I'm trying to say. (laughs) Okay. So the story that we're going to be talking about today is Ruby Bridges. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with that name. If you're not, it's a fucking wonderful, crazy all the things story that we're going to be discussing today the information that i'm going to be citing is from wikipedia of course the ruby bridges article on wikipedia and then also a woman's history and also an article from womenshistory.org titled ruby bridges underneath the biographies on that website so if you want to check out either of those articles all the information will be there and you are welcome to do so <laughs> Okay, so jumping right into it, Ruby Nell Bridges Hall is born September 8th, 1954. She's an American civil rights activist. She was the first black child to desegregate the all-white William France Elementary School in Louisiana during the New Orleans school desegregation crisis on November 14, 1960. She is the subject of a 1964 painting, The Problem We All Live With by Norman Rockwell. So Ruby was the eldest of five children that were born to Abon and Lucille Bridges. As a child, she spends much of her time taking care of her younger siblings. And anybody with younger siblings, I'm sure, can relate to this. Like, you are basically their second parents. (laughs) Though Ruby also enjoys playing jump rope, softball, and climbing trees. When she was four years old, the family relocates from Tylertown, Mississippi, where she was born, to New Orleans, Louisiana. In 1960, when Ruby was six years old, her parents responded to a request from the NAACP and volunteered for her to participate into the integration of the New Orleans school system, even though her father was very hesitant. Ruby was born during the middle of the civil rights movement. Brown v. Board of Education was decided three months and 22 days before her birth which was the decision of the U.S. Supreme Court in which the court ruled that the U.S. state laws establishing racial segregation in public schools are unconstitutional, even if the segregated schools are otherwise equal in quality. Though the Board versus Brown of Education decision was finalized in 1954, the southern states, Big surprise there, I'm sure, were extremely resistant to the decision that they must integrate within six years. Many white people did not want schools to be integrated, and although it was a federal ruling, state governments were not doing their part in enforcing the new laws. In 1957, federal troops were ordered to Little Rock, Arkansas to escort the Little Rock 9 students in combating violence that occurred as the result of the decision. In the Little Rock Nine were a group of nine black students that enrolled in Little Rock Central High School in 1957. Under significant pressure from the federal government, the Orleans Parish School Board administered an entrance exam to the students at Ruby School with the intention of keeping the black children out of white schools. Which is just so fucking dumb like you we're trying to prove that you're not good enough to be in this school like you're not just as smart as these other kids here just as worthy and it's just so fucking disgusting and i know like this is history and this is how things were back then but it doesn't change it from making me sick as fuck like and that's that's what i say every week on the podcast is like if hearing stories like this like even the minor details like don't make you cringe like oh Ah! <laughs> so Ruby attended a segregated kindergarten in 1959. In early 1960, Ruby was one of six black children in New Orleans to pass the test that determined whether they could go to the all-white William France Elementary School. Two of the six children decided to stay at their old school. Ruby went to France by herself and the three children were transferred to McDonough Number 19 and became known as the McDonough Three. Ruby and her mother were escorted to school by four federal marshals during the first day that Ruby attended William Franz Elementary. In the following days of that year, the federal marshals continued to escort Ruby, though her mom stayed behind to take care of her younger siblings. Ruby's father was initially reluctant, but her mother felt strongly that the move was not only needed to give her own daughter a better education, but to take this step forward for all African-American children. Her mother finally convinced her father to let Ruby go to the school. Judge J. Skelly writes, Court order for the first day of integrated schools in New Orleans on Monday, November 14, 1960, was commemorated by Norman Rockwell in the painting, The Problem We All Live With, which, which, which was published in Look Magazine on January 14th, 1964. And as Ruby describes that day, she says, driving up, all I could see was the crowd, but living in New Orleans, I actually thought that it was Mardi Gras. There was a large crowd of people outside of the school. They were throwing things and shouting, and that sort of goes on in New Orleans at Mardi Gras. Former United States Deputy Marshal Charles Burks later recalled, She showed a lot of courage. She never cried. She didn't whimper. She just marched along like a little soldier, and we were all very proud of her. So as soon as Ruby starts attending the school, the white parents pull their own children out. All of the teachers, except for one, refused to teach while a black child was enrolled. Only one person agreed to teach Ruby, and that was Barbara Henry from Boston, Massachusetts. And for over a year, Henry taught her alone as if she were teaching a whole class. Which I love. I just love that. Like, that's the kind of, like, I mean, I'm speaking from experience because I'm a teacher, a previous preschool teacher. But that's like, those are the kind of teachers I love where you're just like, no, fuck all that. Like, I know, absolutely not. That's fine. I'll teach one student. Fuck the rest of the class. Like, what do they say? Fuck them kids. Fuck them white kids. I'm just kidding. I'm literally just kidding. (gasps) The first day, Ruby and her mother spend the entire day in the principal's office. The chaos of the school prevented Ruby moving into the classroom until the second day. On the second day, however... A white student broke the boycott and entered the school when a 34-year-old Methodist minister, Lloyd Anderson Foreman, walked his 5-year-old daughter, Pam, through the angry mob, saying, I simply want the privilege of taking my child to school. A few days later, other white parents began bringing their children, and the protests began to subside. Yet still, Ruby remained the only child in her class, as she would until the following year. Every morning as Ruby walked to school, one woman would threaten to poison her while another held up a black baby doll in a coffin. Because of this, the U.S. Marshals, dispatched by President Eisenhower, who was overseeing her safety, allowed Ruby to eat only the food that she brought from home. Which is just sick, right? Because it's like, I mean, all of it's fucked up, but you're talking to a child You're telling a fucking child that you're going to poison them? Like, how nasty and hateful of a fucking person do you have to be to speak to a little fucking girl like that? A little fucking boy. I really don't care what the gender was at all. That's not the point I'm making here. Fucking disgusting. Child psychiatrist Robert Coles volunteered to provide counseling to Ruby during her first year at France. He meets with her weekly in Ruby's home and later writes a children's book, The Story of Ruby Bridges. And this book was to acquaint other children with Ruby's story. Coles donates the money from the sales of that book to the the Ruby Bridges Foundation to provide money for school supplies or other educational needs for impoverished New Orleans schoolchildren. The Bridges family suffered for their decision to send her to William Franz Elementary. Her father loses his job as a gas station attendant. The grocery store the family shopped at would no longer let them shop there. Her grandparents, who were sharecroppers in Mississippi, were turned off their land. And actually, Ruby's parents end up separating. Ruby has noted that many others in the community, both black and white, showed support in a variety of ways. Some white families continued to send their children to France despite the protest. A neighbor provided her father with a new job, and local people babysat, watched the house as protectors, and walked behind the federal marshal's car on the trips to school. It was not until Ruby was an adult that she learned that the immaculate clothing that she wore to school in those first few weeks at France Elementary were sent to her family by a relative of Cole's. Ruby says that her family could have never afforded the dress, socks, and shoes that are documented in the photographs of her escort by the marshals to and from the school. Ruby Bridges, who is now Ruby Bridges Hall, still lives in New Orleans with her husband Malcolm Hall and their four sons. After graduating from a desegregated high school, she worked as a travel agent for 15 years and she later became a full-time parent. She is now chair of the Ruby Bridges Foundation, which she formed in 1999 to promote the values of tolerance, respect, and appreciation of all differences. Describing the mission of the group, she says, Racism is a grown-up disease, and we must stop using our children to spread it, which I – that's so powerful. Let me read that again. Racism is a grown-up disease, and we must stop using our children to spread it. Because this is where the hate starts. And I was talking about this on Instagram the other day, but that's what parents do, bro. They put these ideologies and these mindsets and all these hateful characteristics in their children. And then their children grow up and it just fucking continues. And it's like, stop making your children fucking hateful, bro. I don't care what your opinion is. Like, keep it to your fucking self and don't teach that to your children. Like... Don't teach that to your children at all. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. People like that don't deserve kids. I, they really don't. I'm sorry. They don't. I don't care. Ruby is the subject of the Lori McKenna song, Ruby's Shoes. Her childhood struggle at William France Elementary School was portrayed in the 1998 made-for-TV movie, Ruby Bridges. The young Ruby was portrayed by actress Chaz Monet, and the movie also featured Leela Rokin as Bridges' mother, Lucy. Michael Beach as Bridges' father, Avon Bridges, Penelope Ann Miller as Ruby's teacher, Miss Henry, and Kevin Pollock as Dr. Robert Coles. Like hundreds of thousands of others in the greater New Orleans area, Ruby lost her home to catastrophic flooding from the failure of the levee system during Hurricane Katrina in 2005. Hurricane Katrina also greatly damaged William Fronts Elementary School, and Ruby played a significant role in fighting for the school to remain open. In November 2007, the Children's Museum of Indianapolis, which I've been to, it's fucking humongous, unveiled a new permanent exhibit documenting her life along with the lives of Anne Frank and Ryan White. The exhibit is called The Power of Children Making a Difference, and it costs $6 million to install and includes an authentic recreation of Ruby's first grade classroom. In 2010, Ruby had a 50-year anniversary at William Franz Elementary with Pam, who had been, at the age of five, the first white child to break the boycott that ensued from Ruby's attendance at the school. On July 15, 2011, Ruby meets with President Barack Obama at the White House, and while viewing the Norman Rockwell painting on display, he tells her, I think it's fair to say that if it hadn't been for you guys, I might not be here. And we would not be looking at this together. The Rockwell painting was displayed in the west wing of the White House, just outside the Oval Office from June through October 2011. In September 1995, Ruby and Robert Coles were awarded honorary honorary degrees from Connecticut. (laughs) In September 1995, Bridges... In September 1995, Ruby Bridges and Robert Coles were awarded honorary degrees from Connecticut College and they appeared together in public for the first time to accept the awards. On January 8, 2001, Ruby was awarded the Presidential Citizens Medal by President Bill Clinton. In November 2006, Ruby was honored as a Hero Against Racism at the 12th Annual Anti-Defamation League Concert Against Hate with the National Symphony Orchestra held at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. On May 19, 2012, Ruby receives an honorary degree from Tulane University at the annual graduation ceremony at the Superdome. Two elementary schools are named after Ruby, one in Alameda, California, and another in Woodinville, Washington. A statue of Ruby stands in the courtyard of William Franz Elementary School. And that is the story of Ruby Bridges. Um, You guys can check out the articles I referenced, but also rubybridges.foundation. That is her foundation. You guys are able to go read her story. There's a video of her telling her story with a lot of other resources and really critical information that I definitely encourage you guys to go check out. But, yeah, Ruby. I mean, it's so crazy because, you know, when we're talking history and we're talking these things, like, you think it was so long ago, but it wasn't. Miss Ruby Bridges, now Miss Ruby Hall, is still alive and she's still talking about these things. She remembers them, like, And that's just what breaks my heart. I mean, in the podcast that we told, let me flip back here in my notes, but in the last episode we did with Claudette Colvin, the fact that they didn't drop her charges until December 2021 for something that happened in the fucking 40s. Like, it's just insane. It was just insane. But guys, this did not happen that long ago. Like, at all. She is still very much alive. She's still very much speaking on her experience. And it's just it's it's baffling to me fuck those women that were literally yelling at her and threatening to poison her and kill her while this little girl was walking to school as like a fucking 6 year old like fucking disgusting like you really it just baffles me that they did stuff like that but it's like i mean i i get it right like racism was a thing back then i mean still is today but even more so back then but you're just hateful. Like you, you're doing all of this for what? Because you don't like the color of somebody's skin? You're gonna fucking talk to their kids like that? A fucking little girl? Like you should never talk to anybody like that. But bringing kids into it, that's when you know you're just a fucking hateful, nasty bitch. Like to be honest with you, there's no way to sugarcoat that. So, oh my fucking god. It's a crazy story, but I'll post some pictures up on the Instagram where you guys can see, you know, um, Miss Ruby walking into school that day and just, you know, some stuff so that you guys can see that this very much happened and it really was not that long ago. So, yeah, if you're listening, I hope that you enjoyed the story of Miss Ruby Bridges, now Miss Ruby Hall. Um, Just the strength from a little girl who knew that the world was against her, didn't cry, didn't whimper, just powerful, powerful stuff. So I'm going to enter a little clip of Ruby talking to end off the podcast here. Make sure you listen to that. Or if you don't have time, go check it out on her website. But I just want to give the floor, obviously the rest of the time here for you guys to hear directly from Miss Ruby herself. So, If you're listening thank you so much for checking out this episode i hope that you liked it if you know of any other stories from black culture black community that you think are important and i haven't spoken about them yet please send those over to me in the instagram dms you guys know i am always taking suggestions i am always taking recommendations so even if i don't get to it right away i promise you i will i have a list that i just go through and i'm like okay what are we gonna do this week If you guys are not following the Instagram, that's at Suspect Podcast on Instagram. I post about every case. I post pictures um, referencing the case that we discussed this week so that you guys can see it with your own eyes. And yeah, anything really to do with the podcast, I post on Suspect Podcast. You can also follow my personal Instagram, which is at Katie underscore Kennedy. K A T I E underscore K E N N E D D Y. I also share a bunch of podcast stuff on there and a bunch of like current events, pop culture. I honestly rant about a lot of stuff on social media. So I'm very active, especially on Instagram. I'm very active on the socials. Be sure to check those out. I love interacting with you guys as well. So. For all the people that have followed those within the last couple months, I see you, I appreciate you, and thank you so much. Last thing before we end this off with Miss Ruby is if you have not left a review on the podcast, if you are listening on Spotify or if you are listening on Apple Podcast, you are able to leave a review. You're able to leave me one to five stars. I hope it's five stars, okay? If you're still coming back after over 30 episodes, I hope it's five stars. <laughs> um, so on Spotify, you can just leave five stars. Please go do that if you have not already. I'm going to stop and let you do that. Spotify listeners, go ahead. I'll give you five seconds to scroll up. Just scroll up and you see it. You see the stars. There you go. There you go. Five, please. Thank you so much. If you're listening on Apple Podcast. Please scroll down. I will wait. Go to the episode page. Scroll down. Scroll down. I'm waiting. Waiting, waiting. You should see the stars and where it says to write a review. Please leave me some stars. Please write me a review. I love reading them. So if you have not done that yet, it really, really helps push the podcast. It helps the audience grow. And it pushes me towards maybe retiring before I'm 30. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please share this podcast with a friend. I have really good energy towards suspect this year. I have good feelings. I think that this is the year for suspect and I need your guys' help. So please, every share, every like, every star, every interaction helps. And yeah, I really appreciate you guys. Enjoy this clip from Ruby and please Be nice to someone this week. Make somebody smile this week, okay? There's no reason to be nasty, okay? Tomorrow's fresh. It's Monday. Let's start the week off on a fresh, happy, positive note and just see what happens if you keep that same energy all week, okay? Keep that same energy all week.
1: guys. How are you doing? I first uh, think that I should start off by saying um, to my young people, I am no longer six years old. (laughs) And to all of you grown-ups, I know that you expected to see Rosa Parks. (laughs) Sorry to disappoint you, I fall somewhere in the middle. But I can assure you that I am the real Ruby Bridges, which is what all my Little ones, call me. One of four six-year-old kids that was chosen to desegregate the public school systems in Louisiana in 1960 during the Civil Rights Movement. I remember being escorted by federal marshals into school every day, into an empty school building, I should say, and spending a whole year in an empty classroom with a single teacher that actually came from Boston to teach me, because teachers in New Orleans and Louisiana actually quit their jobs because they didn't want to teach black children. The worst part about first grade for me is the loneliness, not being able to um, go to recess, or have lunch in the cafeteria. I spent that whole year searching and looking for the kids. The day that I entered school on my first day, all of the white parents rushed in and pulled out their kids. 500 kids left school that day because I was there. And they didn't come back. So I spent the whole year searching for those kids. The few kids that remained, the principal, would hide them so that they would never see me, and I would never see them. But thank God for the teacher that was there. She was my best friend, and she taught me the lesson that Dr. King tried to teach each and every one of us. And that is, we should never judge a person by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. She was white. She's still alive, and she's my very best friend. But I didn't come here today to talk about my story. I actually came to talk, I I came here today to actually talk about all of our stories. History, and going against the grain. Something that I feel like I've been doing all my life since childhood, six years old, to be exact. You see, I am the little girl in the Norman Rockwell painting. The title, The Problem We All Live With. And that problem, I believe we are still living with it today. It being racism. And because of the way that I was introduced to that problem, I chose integration as my life's work because I wanted to do something to try and bridge the gap between our racial divide. And because that introduction happened for me at the ripe old age of six years old, I decided that I wanted to work with kids. So every day, all across the country, I speak to our kids in schools. Because let's face it, Isn't that how we continue to spread racism from one generation to the next? It's through our kids. Our kids know nothing about disliking someone because of the color of their skin. Each and every one of our babies, they come into the world with a clean heart, a fresh start in life. It is us. We, as adults, who have kept racism alive. Believe it or not, it is us. We are responsible for the hatred that we see in this country today. So there, I've said it. I put it out there. So what do we do about it? And a better question, I think, might be, Shouldn't we do something for the sake of our kids and our grandkids? Our children are self-destructing in epic proportions, bullying, murdering, suicide. What are we going to do about it? How can we change it? Well, I think a good place to start is our history. It is essential, first of all, that we turn back to our history every now and again, to remind ourselves of the principles upon which this country was based, to read the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, and the U.S. Constitution. It's essential that in making history, we don't forget to learn from our history. And if our children are to learn from our history, then we must teach it. Unfortunately, we've fallen seriously behind in the teaching of our history. Not only the history of the world, but the history in our own country. We cannot prepare any young person to meet the challenges and conditions of their world if we falsify the history that he or she is taught. And if we are truly considered to be the greatest country in the world, then shouldn't we be setting an example for the rest of the world? And leading by that example? It is well past the time that each and every one of us take responsibility for changing the way our American history is taught. Because I can assure you, from what I see in schools, we are no longer fooling our kids. They want to know the truth. For decades, we have given our children history in a segmented way that easily leaves out the stories that we find uncomfortable to talk about or just too ashamed to remember them. We also don't mark the successes that we as Americans have made together. And they've been many, especially on the issues of culture and race. Take the Civil Rights Movement for example the era of my own story. The Civil Rights Movement wasn't about all one race against the other. Black folks against white folks and white folks against black, like I thought it was when I was in school, because of the way history was taught to me. The movement was about everyone coming together and doing what was right and just. People did that. People stood up and they chose sides. But today, as I visit schools across the country, I see that our kids are not aware of this rich history of ours. Why? Because history isn't being taught the way that it happened. In me, I believe that history is sacred and that none of us have the right to change or alter that history in any way. Our children need to know that white folks and black folks, men and women, young and old, rich and poor, they stood together. They marched together, they rode buses together, they were beaten together, in some cases murdered and even buried together, all for what was just and right. Truly, they were going against the grain. Yes, it was a turbulent time in our country. But it was also a very passionate time. A time of political and social change. Times that we must never forget. And even though we might have a lot to be ashamed of about those times, we have so much to be proud of. Proud of the fact that we came through it. We survived and good prevailed. And whenever good prevails, we have much to be proud of. Much to celebrate and so much to share. So I say, let's remember it. Just in case, God forbid, we have to travel that same path again. We all know that history has a way of repeating itself. Now, don't get me wrong. This isn't about our teachers. This isn't meant to discredit them in any way. It is about the circumstances that we've put them in particularly in public schools, where they do not have the same flexibility to teach outside of the box as teachers in private schools. They do not have the same flexibility to, for that matter, put new curriculum in the box to teach. American history is long overdue for a significant rewrite. I say, let's untie the hands of our educators. Let's go against the grain. Amazingly, again, we find ourselves with inadequate textbooks. We must demand a major overhaul of our history books. They should be replaced with textbooks that will allow us, allow our kids to celebrate everyone's history throughout the entire year, not just one month or one day. It is through the events of the past that our kids can learn how their history is actually connected to everyone else's history, because it is our shared history. But, you know, it's not just through textbooks that we can learn. Whenever and wherever we can, we we need to use this amazing and wonderful technology that our ancestors didn't have access to to rewrite America's timeline and our stories. Let's use this universal language of the arts where we could tell our stories through music and dance, film and theater, Paintings and sculpture. Take, for instance, just this year, Brad Pitt. He used his talents to tell not just another story, but the truth of our past. And he won an Oscar for it. Long overdue, I would say. Through history, he actually made history. Isn't that amazing? Artists who are moved by the world's events, they can use their talents powerfully to convey feelings and ideas that could actually inspire us all. Another prime example, Norman Rockwell the problem we all live with, my story, the painted story as I like to refer to it. We need to tell these amazing stories and we need to tell them fully and truthfully this time so that we could cement a foundation of cooperation and unity rather than the divisiveness and competition that has gripped our country for far too long. We should tell the stories of everyone, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, Indian, Jewish, Muslim, every creed, every color, so that every child has an opportunity to grow up seeing themselves as Americans, as a part of the American dream. This year, 2014, marks the 50th, I'm sorry, the 60th. I'll be 60. We wanted to stick with 50. <laughs> 60th anniversary of Brown versus the Board of Education, landmark decision to desegregate our schools. 60 years later, it's now time that we desegregate America's history. And yes, I've been told it's a grandiose plan, and it is. So was putting a man on the moon or sending a six-year-old child through angry mobs every day for a year, just so that she could attend school. But it was called going against the grain. So first and foremost, what we must do is give our minds permission to accept that change, to welcome it rather than fear it. And then, like our ancestors, before us, if we come together and we make that change, good will prevail. We have to remember what this nation was founded on. Equality and freedom. A nation that surely has made its share of mistakes. But a nation that has managed to make progress when we remain true to those principles upon which we were founded. We can do that. And that, my friends, is all of our shared story. And I assure you, it will make for great history if we remember to tell it exactly the way that it happened. I thank you and keep the faith.